I definitely think we are predisposed um, in this industry to have underlying mental health issues. Um, you know, anxiety and depression is, is incredibly prevalent in our industry. You know, it maybe goes down to personality type. I think if you if you're attracted to the industry, you're you're a people person, you're an empathetic person, and you're an adrenaline junkie. You know, and I think that that can be a cocktail for disaster. I'm Danny Vallant, and this is Dirty Linen, the podcast that takes the issues the hospitality industry finds hard to air in public and shakes them all about. Bianca Welsh owns three businesses in Launceston, Tasmania. I first heard her speak on my sister podcast, or should I say brother podcast, Deep in the Weeds, when Huck spoke to her a month or two ago. I thought she was a perfect person to kick off our next topic, which is mental health in the hospitality industry. Bianca is a business owner and manages her staff, but uh, something that happened in her business a few years ago made her want to learn more about how people tick and she's taken that knowledge forward into the way that she looks after the people in her business. Thanks so much for having a chat to us today, Bianca. Thank you very much for having me. So tell us what it was uh, that made you want to learn more about how, how people work and how they can be assisted. So I was uh, a newly new business owner. I was, guess I was probably two into my second year of being um, an owner-manager and I had an amazing waitress who was just, you know, she was just one of those guns, casual, um, but just came in and gave, you know, 110%. And she started, uh, her behaviour started to um, change. She was quite vague, was making a lot of mistakes Um it was just very odd and it became apparent to uh, the other team members around her that she was binging and purging. So an eating disorder um, was showing, rearing its head at work um, and it was happening on shift uh, and it just became, oh, I didn't want to just brush it under the rug or pretend that it wasn't my fault, wasn't my problem or that uh, I'd just, you know, cut her hours being casual and maybe, you know, write her out of the roster sort of thing. I wanted to address it and, you know, see if I could help and to retain her because she was such a great asset to the team. Um, and so, yeah, it just, it, it propelled me into wanting to learn more about the mind because when I kind of went down the road of, uh, wondering what to do about it. You know, I did all this research on Google and, you know, this was like nine years ago and I just couldn't really find anything of substance. I was probably not looking in the right place. But, um, you know, I lost sleep over it. I, you know, made myself physically ill with the stress of it uh, and I finally had that conversation with her and um, the conversation didn't quite go the way I was hoping it would go. Um you know, it was very much a, de a denial conversation. And then, you know, 24 hours later, um, you know, and I was panicking. I was like, oh, my goodness, I've made it worse. She's not going to come back. She's just going to leave. Um, and 24 hours later, she said, you know, thank you for, you know, I got this really long text message thanking me for bringing it up to her, bringing it up with her. Um, she was in complete denial about it. It was an underlying condition she had from when she was younger and some stressful things in her life had had brought it back up and she was seeking help and, you know, and now she's a doctor herself. Um, and I was really, wow. Yeah. I was very moved by that. A simple conversation with someone could, you know, it can 
save a life really it can improve someone's life yeah that's really amazing so how long was it between finding out that um, she was binging and purging and you feeling equipped to have that conversation with her about it uh, it took me about six weeks to build up the courage to do it and I was I was aware of it and it was it was upsetting the other team because we've got um, we've got a, a staff toilet but um, most of the chefs use that so the girls tend to prefer using the the other toilets and that they're, they're just the public toilet so we have three cubicles in there and um, yeah it had just become quite obvious because a couple of the girls had been in the toilet at the same time as her and it was quite distressing to them so it was not only impacting that employee but it was in, impacting the team around her and I just yeah I, I just didn't know what to do. Yeah, I can imagine, uh, and I also can imagine like while you're there, you'd hardly be able to think about anything else because um, you are in that leadership role where you want to look after everybody and, and including, of course, your customers. It must have been really, really difficult. Um, and I, I suppose it, it's one thing to muster up the courage to have a conversation and, and it looks like that was, in this case, a really good prompt for that person to you know, acknowledge what was happening and to, and to seek some help. But I think sometimes, you know, just having a conversation or opening up an issue, it's, it doesn't necessarily lead to helpful action. So what, um, what did you then go and do after having this experience? So I sat on it for a bit. It probably took me a few months to kind of conjure up the idea and I just had this moment of going, oh, I need to, I want to go and study this. I, I want to learn more. Um, you know, I want to be the best manager I can be. I want to be able to identify and potentially help people, be, help our team because I know that this sort of stuff's not going to go away. It's going to get worse um, and probably more prevalent in the workplace. You know, I think in the last five years the conversations have become a lot better. Even in the last 12 months, I think the, the conversations have become a lot better, you know, particularly in, in the mass media and in a lot of programs and our awareness of mental health. But I just knew it wasn't going to go away. So I enrolled in the local uni in, at UTAS um, and did a degree in, uh, in psychology. So I've got a Bachelor of Behavioural Science, um, which is now known as Psychological Science. Um, and that took me seven years part-time um, which was pretty intense and I won't lie, it was it was <laughs> it was really hard amongst, you know, open you know, we took on a business um during that time, you know, we took on what was a Provador above uh this above Stillwater restaurant and which we've now turned into um boutique rooms. Um, you know, I had a baby, I got married, um, you know, I got married and uh started uni all in within the first month of each other um which was pretty intense and being a mature age student like I hadn't studied since I'd done my hospitality management certificate and so it was it was very daunting but I always promised myself that if I wasn't enjoying the actual content it wasn't the to get the certificate at the end of it it was to to learn and absorb the content and if I wasn't learning I'd promised myself I just wouldn't continue but every semester like I really enjoyed the content and learning all about, you know, and I've just scratched the surface um, of what is out there to be known. But I certainly don't, um, and I and I and I really emphasise this that I don't think that every manager or every business owner needs to go out and get a psych degree. But it, it's just some basic 
understanding and awareness can really, really help a workplace, a a workplace culture, help your team, help retain people, help attract people. Um, You know, I've got so many people that come into interviews and say, you know, why did, why did you want to apply? Why do you want to work with us? And I've I've heard, you know, you're really great with, um, you know, mental health. And, and that's, you know, I think that's quite, admirable in a workplace and you know that means a lot to me particularly and and that's why we're having this conversation hospitality is just not really known for good mental health practices and you know our cohort tends to be the more vulnerable we're socially isolated due to the times that we work and you know we work weekends we work nights um uh you know the the shift work you know working nights has an impact on our sleep all that sort of stuff, the substance abuse, you know, we're exposed to alcohol, you know, 24-7. It's a part of our it's a part of our job. But, you know, we live and breathe it, but it can become toxic. And um, you know, we're in a pressure cooker of an environment. We are in stressful situations. And if we don't, if we don't support and understand the way the mind works and that mental wellness is actually a minority and that mental illness is actually the majority we're never going to move forward in a positive way in the industry do you think that i mean you've you've mentioned some of those sort of pressure cooker or or circumstantial reasons that uh, mean that hospitality and mental challenges go together but do you think there's also something about uh do you think it's about the kind of people that are drawn to the industry as well do you think that people who p- people come to hospitality more than other industries with underlying challenges in their lives yes i do um uh i think there's a a, a number of answers to that I, I definitely think we are predisposed um in this industry to have underlying um mental health issues, um, you know, anxiety and depression is, is incredibly prevalent in our industry. Um, and I think just to, it's, you know, it maybe goes down to personality type. I think if, you, if you're attracted to the industry, you're, you're a people person, you're an empathetic person um, and you're an adrenaline junkie, you know, and I think that that is quite a, a cocktail for, it can be a cocktail for disaster. Um, I think that the education system pushes people that are um, particularly vulnerable into the industry and kind of paint the picture that that's all that they're capable of doing Um, and it perhaps isn't the right industry for them to to be doing. Um, You know, the conventional classrooms, I think, just, just push those that are perhaps a little bit problematic or, you know, don't learn in a conventional way. They just push them into that, you know, you just go into a vet course when you're in year 11 or 12 or something or that you'll just go off to TAFE after school. Um, I think that has an impact as well. Um, And because the hours, um, the flexible hours, I think probably do attract a person that – yeah, it doesn't want to adhere to the to the normal society. Um, you know, I think we're all probably a little bit left of centre in the hospital industry. But and but on the same token, that's what I love. You know, I love the people that work in hospitality. You know, you meet the best characters. You know, I've loved listening to your podcast, to Huck's podcast. You know, there's so many great 
personalities out there and they're just, you know, they're just the tip of the industry. Um, you know, there's just people are the best part of what we do. Yeah, I mean, you don't want to smooth it all out and um, just have a bunch of safe characters in the industry, but I guess it's about how do you nurture those people and let them use, you know, their abilities in a way that is um, is healthy as well as productive and as well as, you know, pushing the industry forward. Um, so, Bianca, what, is, what are some of the things that you learnt in your course uh, about people and about, you know, how, how, how they tick that has helped you be a manager? Um, I refer to it quite often. Uh, I think the biopsychosocial model is what had the biggest impact on me understanding a person and the way their mind might work. Uh, so that essentially is the biological, psychological and social model of uh, of the makings of a person and, and the way the mind works. So obviously biological can be, uh, you know... <laughs> a very complex you know the brain is the most complex of our organs if you think about the way that you know experts and medical professionals research the brain we're pretty blind really because you can't just open it up and have a look at a working brain I mean you know there's ways but um, you know the technology has come so far you know in the last 10 years um, and you know over the last 50 years so we've got we've got so much potential to understand the brain more. Um, you know, we're at the mercy of uh, those technologies like, you know, MRIs and scans and all that sort of stuff. Um, and then we're at the mercy of, uh, you know, self-reporting. You know, the science behind the studies of psychology are really complicated and, and you know, it's all about the design of the study, which, you know, um, can be you know it can be good it can be great it can be average it can be terrible um so there's there's so much in the biological side it could be uh predisposition genetics all that sort of stuff then you've got the psychological so that makes up you know the way that you view the world world so your perception your personality um you know your experiences how they've shaped you um again underlying or predisposed to being a particularly anxious person or you know all that sort of stuff and then you've got the social so you've got you know where you live or your friend circle or you know perhaps particular traumas you've been through or there's so many ingredients into making a person who they are that for it to go right and for you to be mentally well is incredible like that's the anomaly and I think that that's when we flip it around rather than talking about mental illness being um, the minority. It's really not, um, you know, self-reporting can, you know, all, yeah, I get very sceptical of studies and all the stats that you see, you know, I'm a now, you know, you refer to being a psych student because, or, you know, a research studies, um, a research methods student, because you certainly question, you know, when they, you know, on the news and they say, oh, this study found X, Y, Z, you sort of go, well, how many people were in that study? What were the controls? Who, you know, there's lots of questions as to, we, I think we rely a lot on those blanket statements. Um, Yeah, well, I I think it's so, it's so fluid and ever-changing as well. I mean, any one of those biopsychosocial elements, I mean, there's so many different strands to each of them and they can, 
they can fluctuate so much. I mean, you might have had a bad night's sleep. Someone might speak to you in a hurtful way. Uh, you, you know, like you might trip over and, and fall down and feel a bit silly. And then, you know, the next thing that happens is is impacted by that. So I think, um, yeah, you might be happy in the morning and sad in the evening and that's you're still the same person. Yes, that's right. Um, and, yeah, there was just, I mean, there was so much that I loved learning about, um, obviously, you know, all the different mental illnesses and, um, you know, childhood development and, you know, neuroscience and all these sort of, you know, research methods. It was, you know, I was really, it opened up my mind quite a lot into a lot of different facets of how people tick. Um, but I guess my my philosophy, though, always was um, as a manager that we can't expect people to leave their troubles at the door anymore you know when you you know when I first started in when I had my first job you know it was that mindset that you leave your troubles at the door you come and you do your job and then you go home and you pick up your troubles back at the door and and you deal with that outside of work and that's not that's not the case anymore we can't expect our people to do that when you've got a mental illness when you're particularly anxious or depressed or um, you've been through particular trauma and you've got a trigger and it happens at work or there's so many there's so many elements of a person's day where something might rear its head um, we cannot expect people to not speak up and say I'm not okay or I need help or uh, that yeah I can leave my depression at the door or I can leave my anxiety at the door or I can leave my substance abuse at the door or I can leave that massive fight I had with my partner just before I came to work at the door when we're in a people um, when we're in a service industry we have to put on our best show like when we walk in the door we've got we're on we're on show we've got to step up to the performance um, but as owners, managers, supervisors, restaurateurs, we can, we should be able to have some tools at the ready to be able to have those tricky conversations or to identify when someone's not doing okay and to be able to then support them through that rather than say, you you know, don't come to work, don't be here. Because often I find that a lot of the time, coming to work can almost be their therapy they can almost kind of work through their problems or their um, illness with the people that they trust and it's become family you know we we often say everyone in industry says you know your work friends your work colleagues are your family and that can be really powerful and can give a lot of tools back to people um to have the resilience to maybe fight through what they're going through. So give us some tools, like let's get into some really practical stuff. What what are some tools that you've learned that perhaps other people could apply in their own situations? It's in identifying behaviour. So from a manager's perspective, um, I'm very lucky where I do work alongside the team. I'm not, you know, I don't sit behind a desk. I don't do the finances. Like my role is in the restaurant, developing the restaurant, developing the team um, in the HR role. So I work on the restaurant floor, you know, I'll sweep the floors, I'll, I'll work alongside them. So I've got that, I'm able to have that relationship with people to ask them how their day is, what's been going on. 
um, and then to observe their performance through service or, you know, in setup. And it's often in those idle times that you can sort of pick up on on maybe something's not right or certain conversations, you can overhear a conversation um, with maybe another one of their colleagues that doesn't sound, you know, that, that something's amiss. Um, it can be as simple as you overhear them saying, you know, I'm, I'm not sleeping well or this has happened with my boyfriend or, um, you know, oh, I'm just oh, I'm just feeling a bit off or they're calling in sick kind of maybe a bit often or something. You've just got to be able to gauge when something's not right in someone's life um, and then to be able to pull them aside at an appropriate time and to have that conversation with them, um, you know, and you just sit them, you know, I found, personally, I found it uh, a useful tool to just sit down, have a coffee and say, you know, this is um, my observations of kind of your performance, but also, um, you know, I, I overheard you say that maybe you're not sleeping well, is everything okay? Um, and you've got to push a bit, you know, it depends on the person, but you've got to push a bit. Uh, and then it can often just be the simple, are you okay? And that the, it opens up the flood walls. But, you know, you've got to step back and, and have that culture there to begin with. You've got to have that relationship with your team that they trust you. Um, and if it's perhaps not you, perhaps get a manager or another colleague that is maybe has that relationship with a person you're concerned about to maybe have a conversation with them. Um, and then from there, you know, you can start to unpack what's going on. And what you can perhaps do to help. So we have an employee assistance program, an EAP, um, and that is a free counselling service to the to them, to the to the team, where we pick up the bill for three free counselling sessions. It's a third party um, provider. We don't get names. We just get the department that they work in. So it'll just say a report saying a front of house person access the program. Okay. So you, they, they can do it without you referring them each time? Yes. Yep. Okay. Interesting. And so if they're not comfortable to have maybe that conversation with me, um, I will, you know, say, look, there is this service. You're more than welcome to access it. We do it. We, um, it's in our formal induction packs. It's in our employee handbooks. Um, you know, all the managers are, are aware that we have this service so that they can recommend that if they're not wanting to speak with someone within the within the business to speak to someone else. Um, and it's completely confidential. So we don't get any other any other details back from from the counselling service about, you know, what they've spoken about or anything. And it doesn't need to be about work. And that and that's what I emphasize as well is that I want to talk to you about what's going on in your life because obviously what is going on in your personal life is having an impact on you at work and, you know, I've got a business to run but also I want to help you. And so, you know, we the communication lines need to kind of meet in the middle. So we also have, um, yeah, that program which, um, you know, a lot you'd find a lot of corporate uh, businesses have that. So for a, a hospitality business to have it, I think it's a really great service. And I actually just got the re- report this morning and no one accessed it in the last uh, financial year from our team. And I can hope that that's because they were comfortable to come and speak with us. Um, but also, yeah, like um, I think it's just a really great uh, 
thing to have to show your team that you're serious about their mental well-being. And it's not just what's happening within these four walls, it's what's happening in their personal life. And so what kind of scenarios have people been going through while they've been employed by you that you've been able to help them through? So we've supported and, um, you know, worked through uh, people that have obviously depression and anxiety, obviously the most prevalent, but substance substance abuse, um, sadly, quite a few impacted greatly by suicide, you know, by spouse spouse, um, dying by suicide, which is, yeah, um, it's hard to talk about. Um, We've had... Uh, unwanted pregnancies, sexual assault, um, gosh, bipolar, um, you know, suicidal, suicidal thoughts themselves, um, divorces, relationship breakups, terminal illnesses within their families, um, cancer diagnoses, um, you know, everything like this, you know, trauma. Um, and you know trauma from you know like their their dog being run over in front of them to um, you know just yeah some really crazy things that happen to people, but and it could happen to them before they even start working for you, but it's you know stuff can rear its head and that's the that's the tricky thing with psychology is that you just don't know when something's going to pop up. Um, And I find particularly because our industry, we tend to get young adults. We tend to get people where these things start to become a lot more prevalent in in an adult's life. Um, the The statistics show that. And so you often need to navigate young adults going through quite a lot of changes in their in their world, in in the way that they're coming to terms with who they are, their maturity, their different, you know, life changes. And, you know, in psychology you talk about um, stre- there's like a stress index and, you know, the top top stress index, I can't remember the point system, you know, like say 50 out of 100 or, you know, 75 out of 100 and you're like 100 out of 100 is, you know, um, your significant person in your life dying or, you know, divorce or even moving house is like 50 points, you know, um, a relationship breakup, you know, all those sorts of things. Um, you know, a new job, a new job is really high on a stress index. So you're navigating okay. all these. Where does a pandemic fit in? Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Actually, I should look that up. Um, Off probably, the chart, maybe. From my experience, <laughs> yeah, maybe 110. <laughs> um, that you're going through a lot of things with your people um, and you've got to be there to help them through it and to guide them through it. So uh, another thing that is really important for people having the conversation, so the managers and the owners just need to have an understanding of perhaps what's available in their immediate community. So we've got um, a really great headspace um, centre in Launceston. Um, Need to understand a little bit about what's the difference between a counsellor and a psychologist. You know, we offer the counselling service, but, you know, I'm always going to beat the drum of a psychologist um, having done a psychology degree and, I, you know, I aspire one day to maybe become a clinical psychologist. You know, that would be perhaps the thing that I go and do after restaurants if that ever happens. I'm probably, 
I'll probably die in restaurants though, but, um, <laughs> uh, you know, the difference of what they offer because what we also learn in psychology is that the relationship between your professional provider and the client can attribute to just as much as um, medical treatment. So it can have as big an impact on you as a client um, as taking an antidepressant or taking an anti-anxiety medication. So to understand that, um, and this is something I advise anyone, is that if you've gone to seek help and you've got an appointment with a counsellor, you've got an appointment with a psychologist and something's not, you just haven't connected, it's not right, then that's okay for you to say, look, this isn't for me, I need to find someone else. Don't write off psychology or or a psychologist or a counsellor as not working for you as a blanket, I'm, I'm done with it. It's probably just the person. And I, and I liken it to a relationship. You know, we fall in love with certain people. We become friends with certain groups of people or, um, you know, you connect with certain people for a reason. And so just because you've been referred to a psychologist doesn't mean that you're going to connect with them the way you're meant to in a textbook. So there's so many different um, treatments and theories of how to treat patients um, that it might just not be that that's right for you. So you should go back to your GP. So, so sorry, I'm jumping ahead a step. So for managers to have an understanding of the pathway of what needs to happen um, for someone to get help, that you can go and see a counsellor without a referral, but you, could, you should go to your GP and explicitly say, um, I need a ment- I want a mental health plan. Can you please refer me to a psychologist? I'm feeling, you know, X, Y, Z. And that hopefully that GP, your GP will have, um, you know, a bank of people that they know, you know, one specialises in X, Y, Z that they can maybe refer you to. And then everyone's entitled to 10 free sessions a year. Is that right? Correct. Yeah, that's right. And then your GP, if you're wanting to continue that, your GP just writes you another mental health plan. You know, calendar. You know, on the on the year. Um, and so the the pathways of how to get help are really important because a lot of people don't know how to do that and how to be explicit with your GP, not to just go and ask. And that's something that I became very passionate about through my degree and through my personal experience. You know. Um, you know, my husband wouldn't wouldn't mind me saying that he's had some really big struggles with mental health, and I'm um, we're very proud to say that you know he's overcome a lot um, in his time, and that's been working on it together. I hear so often that someone's gone to their GP and said, "I'm feeling anxious." They just write a prescription for them, and off they go. They don't even uh, refer them to a psychologist. They say, "Yeah, maybe you should see someone, but why don't we give this a go?" Like I just. I just don't get it because, you know, a psychologist can have as big an impact as medication. I'm certainly not against medication. I've seen, you know, James has had to go through a ridiculous amount of different medications um, through his journey um, and I've seen the impacts and I've seen the side effects and it's it's horrific um, and it's awful um, and can impact in so many negative ways that it's been through the mental, the tools that a psychologist or a psychiatrist or a counsellor can give you to put in your toolbox that can get you through, um, you know, irrational thoughts as an example or, uh, you know, just they, 
it's just establishing a toolbox. And when a when a when a doctor just writes a prescription for a medication, it's not enough. It needs to be in conjunction with with psychological treatment. It's a bit of a blunt instrument. So, I mean, as as you say, a medication can be an important part of the solution for some people, but it's uh, not necessarily the first place to turn. And it is great to use the resources that are available to all of us through our GPs and our health system to get um, to get those those free sessions. Um, Bianca, let's let's um let's wrap up by you talking about some of the things that other managers might not think of that they can have in their toolbox. You've talked about talking and about having that openness and that sense that you don't have to leave your problems at the door. But are there some really practical things you could do in a restaurant that would, I I don't know what it is, whether it's reducing the possibility of things triggering people or whether it's just creating an environment that that promotes wellness in um, a more complete way? Like what what are some of the things that people could look at in their business and and wonder if they could make some change? Yeah, so uh, I guess we're, we're fortunate in we have the flexibility of we've got a big team, you know, we've got um, we had four, we've got 41 on JobKeeper, um, and I've hired back uh, maybe like 10 casuals back into the mix of across the three businesses. Um, so we've got a big team and we've got lots of different departments. So I often um, offer uh, for someone particularly who's struggling um, with dealing with people, like because we've obviously, you know, whether at the coal face. Maybe that they need less customer interaction. Just uh, they still want to come to work. They're still able to work, but they perhaps need just a reduced load. Say I have them on a smaller section. So obviously the communication lines need to be very open, and that person needs to be very proactive in um, letting you know these things before shift. Before you, you know, you've done the allocations for your service, and you're like, right, this person's in this area. Da da da. da. Um, you know, and that can take a lot of effort from that person. So, and and can take some practice from that person. But you know, work on it, and that it can be really useful. So, yeah, I might have them in a section where they're just less exposed to um, customers, or you know, they're, they're they're really good on coffee as well as on the floor. So perhaps they're just better off to just do a coffee shift where they don't need to talk to anyone. They can just make coffee and not speak, and um, they can still do do their job. Um, you know, do they need to? just come in and do like a short cleaning shift or the setup shift or um, do they need to have the first knockoff um, so that they can try and get in a better sleep pattern? Um, are they in physical pain, you know, um, where maybe they've got some, uh, you know, like a bad knee and they haven't really communicated it because they didn't want to bother people but, um, you know, you've picked up on it. Okay, let's let's look at, you know, Tassie's very, co- you know, Launceston's freezing in winter. Um, and late nights, you know, make it particularly play up. So let's look at where we can move you, move your shifts around. Um, it's being very creative um, with what you can do within your organisation. Um, uh, it can be sometimes um, uh, organising a social event can be really positive. Um, uh Sometimes in the past I've tried to organise, you know, like exercise, like like a boot camp kind of thing or um, where we get to do together and do like fun sort of training sessions or team building sessions or um, that can also have a really great boost on morale and um, just kind of get some people out of a bit of a funk. 
um, some other practical things. Yeah, it's really it's really trying to direct them to try to seek help, try to talk to someone that they trust, whether it's a family member um, or using counselling service or, you know, talking to their GP. Um, it's scheduling um, catch-ups off-site, you know, because people, you know, when you're a family, you talk, you, you see when someone's having a meeting with the boss and you go, oh, what are they, you know, what are they talking about? So maybe doing that off-site to make them feel more comfortable to open up and to, um, you know, regularly chat. Um, yeah, there's it, it's trying to be as creative as you can with that particular person and maybe what they need. That all sounds, yeah, really, really good. Uh, one more thing. <laughs> Have you got any strategies for coping with a pandemic? Oh, well, I was trying to do a little bit of reading um, when all of this hit uh, about, you know, when we've all been in ISO and I'm I'm really feeling for our Melbourne friends um, and, you know, the studies kind of pull up. We did a unit on um, – extreme environments uh so you you research um the psychology of people in you know antarctica or they you know astronauts and you know extreme environments where they've obviously got to have a lot of resilience and you know um a psychological disposition to be sent be sent to those places to work or live or whatever um and yeah like uh astronauts and people in antarctica you know you're advised to stick to a routine as best you can um so you know when you're in social isolation or you know you're in lockdown try to stick to a routine as much as possible um and whether that's just getting out of bed you know at the same time each day and you know making your coffee and you know reading a blog that you know you enjoy or something you know it doesn't need to be go out and go for a run or you know just some sort of routine um within your household can really help um anxiety and and your mental health um I guess just talking as much as you can reaching out I found personally listening to podcasts listening to other people tell their stories has been very very comforting um I've I've really I've actually really hated zoom like I have a lot of meetings on zoom and I don't like I just don't like that tech um I just find it quite disjointed I think just phone chats like like this is um, a much more nicer way to have it's a more flowing conversation so I think you know don't don't feel like you need to buy into the you know wine chats on zoom with your friends like if that's not for you don't feel bad that's not for you um yeah just staying connected and it's yeah. tricky it's it's really hard yeah yep. yeah it's pretty hard just yeah. being thrown back into it I've got to say it's just not it's not where you want to be um but anyway we all get through it um Bianca it's so great to chat to you you've got such a unique perspective on the industry given your uh, degree that you did just in the meantime. So thank you so much for kicking off uh, these chats about mental health in hospitality. You've given people a lot of resources just through their GP. Um, that's a really great place to turn to if people are needing some support. But I'd also encourage anybody who needs to uh, check out beyondblue.org.au. There are lots of resources there. Lifeline is always there and the number for that is 131114. Uh, stay well everybody breathe deep uh, wash your hands 
And thanks so much, Bianca, for being part of Dirty Linen. Thank you. Thanks very much for having me. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about. We spend a week thrashing around each issue, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This is a Deep in the Weeds production.